I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this is the Always the Critic podcast, where a couple of friends review the latest movies, except we literally have zero qualifications to do so. Jessica, how are you doing today? I'm doing well. I had a good weekend. I uh, it was my mom's birthday, so we hung out uh, with her, you know, went up to my parents' house. And it was a lot of like taking naps and watching movies and eating cake and very chill. So <laughs> that does sound very chill. I Happy had a great birthday, weekend. Mrs. Furby. Yeah. Uh, so mine, <laughs> mine was not bad. Uh, got to uh, my sister's boyfriend is in town and we went to Magic Kingdom last night and uh, we saw the new Enchantment show. Uh, it's not as good as Happily Ever After. Happily Ever After yeah. did set the standard, but I'm not going to sit here and say that it's like bad. Um, there's like some good moments, like some of the projections are really nice. Uh, the fireworks don't feel as full. Mm. And on top of that, the musical choices, especially for like their finale of the fireworks, <laughs> doesn't leave you with like this, you know. This sen- yeah, this sense of feeling of like, yeah, I have to watch the fireworks type of thing. But, you know, we'll see how it ages. But I I think it's okay. It's okay. It's okay. So, but if you're spending a small fortune to go to a Disney park, yeah, you're you, going to watch Magic Kingdom fireworks. You want better than okay. You want of it course. to be, yes. <laughs> right. Uh, and apparently for a lot of people, that's how they feel about the movie that we're going to talk about today. Oh. Uh, and so before we talk about that movie, if this is your first time listening, go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app. We're on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. And if you do like us, go ahead and give us a five-star review on Apple Podcasts because a five-star review... A five-star review. Rag- <laughs> yes. Uh, ragu, if you're going to you know, make pasta, you want the five-star ragu. But if you want to leave us a five-star review, do it on Apple Podcasts, and that goes a long way for us. Come and check us out on social media to stay up to date on our latest episodes and reviews. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at AlwaysCriticPod. Lastly, if you're a fan, please, please consider becoming a patron. It's a great way for you to get involved and show your support. You can check out the page on patreon.com slash alwayscriticpod. Today, we are going to talk about the 26th movie in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, and that is Eternals. Eternals is the newest movie. It's the third movie this year alone in phase four that we are in the MCU. Now, (laughs) Jessica... Why don't you tell us a little bit about what Eternals is about? I shall. The IMDb synopsis reads, The Eternals are a team of ancient aliens who have been living on Earth in secret for thousands of years. When an unexpected tragedy forces them out of the shadows, they are forced to reunite against mankind's most ancient enemy, the Deviants. So this movie is directed by Chloe Zhao. Chloe Zhao is an Oscar-winning director. Uh, her film Nomadland earned her Best Director and Best Picture. That was earlier this year that she won that. So she had some juice coming into this. Uh, it was also written by her alongside Patrick uh, Burley and Ryan F- uh, Furpo. Furpo. And, yeah, just one letter off from your last name. <laughs> yeah. And so go ahead and let us know. This was a pretty big cast. Jessica. Let us know who was in this cast. 
All right, so we have Richard Madden as Icarus, Gemma Chan as Cersei, Salma Hayek as Ajak, Angelina Jolie as Thena, Kumail Nanjiani as Kingo, Brian Tyree Henry as Fastos, Leah McHugh as Sprite, Barry Keegan, Keoghan. Keoghan. Keoghan as Druig, Madong Sok as Gilgamesh, Lauren Ridloff as Makari, and Harish Patel as Karun, and Kit Harrington bringing up the rear as Dane Whitman. Yes, this is a loaded cast because the team that we are dealing with is a he- it's heavy in numbers. It's a very yes. big cast. So when it comes to box office, pretty a strong showing, $71 million domestically. A little bit less than what they hoped. They hope somewhere in eighty to eighty-five million. Mm-hmm. Uh, it is the fourth biggest opening in the United States this year, just a little bit ahead of Fast Nine. One hundred sixty-one million dollars around the world. Now, here is where we get to the interesting numbers. Rotten Tomatoes. So, the critic score on Rotten Tomatoes for this movie is sitting as the worst-rated MCU movie of all time. At 48%. 48% is where it's sitting at right now among critics. It has an 80% score from audience, which is not a bad number, but if you compare it to other Marvel properties, it is still kind of low, at least among audiences with Marvel properties. So the critics' consensus reads, an ambitious superhero epic that soars as often as it strains, Eternals takes the MCU in intriguing and occasionally confounding new directions. The audience consensus for this one, it's a different kind of Marvel movie, but Eternals still contains all the action, humor, and heart the fans are looking for. So with all that said, Jessica, what was your experience watching and did you like The Eternals? Yes and no. Yes and no. Uh, I think I feel okay. So I'm again, don't like Marvel movies. I'm right. not the person that's seeking this out, <laughs> but I end up getting dragged to see Marvel movies. That's a very anyway, good point. We still got um, another one this year. I oh, shit. Anyway, um, this movie I was really enchanted by the cast more than anything because this wasn't like your typical like Chris. In, in the Insert title last role. name. <laughs> Insert last name in the title role. It was not a bunch of, um, for lack of a better word, white people. It was a ragtag group of POC. And I was kind of interested mostly because Gemma Chan seemed to be front and center. And they had Ma Dong Suk in it as well. Ma Dong Suk is a great Korean actor. And if you've seen the epic zombie movie Train to Busan, then you've definitely seen Ma Dong Suk in action. He's amazing. So, and then Angelina Jolie, like bringing her out of like what, semi, semi-retirement? Yeah, because this so, role does yeah. fit that typical like early Jolie run of action heavy type of stuff. Yeah, so um, she hasn't been doing action stuff for like what 20 years or so it's been about that long since tomb raider salt you know came out good salt yeah but that was 2007 anyway so i digress this cast was really cool to me and i was looking forward to seeing them the movie itself was a little bit odd it didn't necessarily feel like a marvel movie 
which could be a good thing or a bad thing to people. I don't give a shit either way, like personally. Right. I'm just like, okay, taking it for what it is. I thought it looked really beautiful. I think that it tried to cover some interesting themes. Um, These are familiar themes to me of people that live a long time, like vampires and other mythological creatures that have immortality deal with these same things. Like, can they really love someone their significant other is a is mortal so like what do you do there and what do you do with the enormity of your time so that is a major theme in this movie and i appreciate that i would say that the there's a couple of things that i don't necessarily like about the movie but it's probably more of a spoiler okay to me so so what we'll kind yeah we'll steer away from it now I came out of this one more positive than I think our group of friends. We did end up seeing it together. We had a discussion about it afterwards. And I believe I was probably the most positive out of all of us. Um, I think that the movie is good. I feel that it's too long. That is one of my complaints of this movie. There are things in this movie that feel a little bloated Mm -hmm. and can be condensed and can be or just cut out completely. So to really trim down the time because if I'm not mistaken, this is the second longest Marvel movie at two hours and 40 something minutes. The only thing longer than that was Endgame. So um, was it necessary? Yes and no, because of the fact that these are the first time introduction introduction to characters that we have never met before. Plus on top of that, the sheer number of characters that were being introduced to mm-hmm. you, you kind of want to have everyone you know, get their equal part. But even like that, the movie does shortchange a couple of the characters with all this runtime. So that I would say that those are the negatives. I will agree that there are themes in the movie that I did enjoy. And I do appreciate that Marvel decided to allow Chloe Zhao to try to tackle some of these ideas, even though a lot of these ideas may come from other types of literature and work and art you know i mean the name icarus you already if if <laughs> you want to get into this <laughs> like if you know icarus from yeah. literature like yeah. you already know what type of person or being he is and same so with Athena. same with Athena, you know uh gilgamesh like there mm-hmm. are a lot of different uh basically not stereotypes but the prototypes for these Greek gods almost that Marvel is kind of toying with with these characters and now being brought to life in a movie. Uh, Also, one other thing that I appreciated, and I know that most Marvel fans will not, is that this movie did not try so hard to be funny or force its funny uh, into the movie. Mm -hmm. Um, Maybe you could feel that with Kumail's character because... He is the funny person in this movie, but there is this thing about Marvel movies where they try to force the humor at times and just like put it into a moment to cut like any type of tension that there might be. Or if the moment is serious, like they cut it with a joke. So it's like, hey, we're having a great time. But I I appreciated that this movie doesn't really do that that often. It, It. it really tries to center on what they're trying to do, what story they're trying to tell. So 
those are things that I appreciated. I would say that um, it felt like they were trying to introduce everyone and then keep some sort of suspense or mystery going for when they reintroduce the characters in the movie. And that was a bit of an issue for me because it was like, okay, I almost just want the Ocean's Eleven style. We need all 10 of us to come back together and then you get the story, you know, through right. flashbacks or whatever. You did get flashbacks, but it was not edited in a way that was familiar to like these type of team up stories, right? An ensemble cast coming back together for like one last job or whatever. Right. Um oh yeah, go go right here. I was gonna say I I the way the movie is structured, like you were saying, where it jumps kind of back and forth between flashbacks of them on their time of Earth, because, you know, the synopsis is they've been living on Earth all this time. The trailers even say it, they, you know, they reference it. And the way the movie is structured is like we kind of like bounce back and forth between the present and those and back in time. I think what probably would have helped the movie is if they kind of like start in the present then use an entire section to be in the past to kind of like mm -hmm. show you what their how their involvement within humans went and then bring us just back into you know present time for the rest of the movie exactly yeah. that probably would have been better uh but with that said i think mm -hmm. i've seen i've seen a huge cr criticism is that people got lost with the the time jumps but i <laughs> don't understand how because there is clear definition when we're in the present versus when they jump back to Mesopotamia and they say it on screen and they show the time period. So I'm I not sure. I don't understand how people are getting lost either. I didn't yeah. even know that was a complaint. Mostly because they're in costume. Yeah. In the that, past. That actually matches <laughs> the done, time like, period. Yeah. <laughs> so th there's a lot of things. And. The movie, I will say, does have a lot of things that it wants to try to tackle at the same time. Yes, it feels like it's trying to do too much. Yes. And then at the same time, the stakes don't feel high at all. Yeah, because of the villain. And here mm -hmm. we go with Marvel, the villain mm -hmm. problem. Uh, this movie, in the synopsis, does have the fact that deviants are the Eternals' bad guys. They are the ones that are a threat to humans, and they only get involved in human affairs if the deviants are involved. Mm -hmm. So coming into the story, I personally didn't feel like that was going to be the final villain because it just felt too ordinary. And by that, I mean amongst Marvel stories. that It's just a, a faceless creature that yeah. can't be your main villain. So I was anticipating something, which the movie does kind of bring us to. But yeah, the the deviants don't really do much for the story, mm. almost. Mm -hmm. I kind of wish they would have gone in a different direction instead of using the deviants almost like a decoy or almost like a red herring or a secondary villain. I would have wished that they concentrated on one big bad. And the way that they developed that secondary villain which does have, at the end, a voice, seemed too half-baked because once it starts articulating what it wants and how it feels, it's taken out rather quickly. Yeah. So then you're like, what was the point of all of this lead-up? Like, right. you didn't even give it the time of day. Right. So you're tackling that idea, plus you're tackling the idea of, you know, 
the Eternals struggle for wanting to care for humans. Yes. And each individual. Having compassion and empathy and sympathy for humans. Or losing your hope for humanity as a case for one specific uh, person in the group. Uh, You know, you, you see the contradictions amongst themselves, like who are we supposed to be to these people? Mm-hmm. You know, why can't we help them the way that we feel like we should? That's that's an idea that I felt like the movie was trying to go down at one point, but then yes. it kind of like stops. It stops caring about that specific point. It was a lot of um, man versus God and mm-hmm. um, identity issues which are really great themes, right? And this comes back to what we what I said earlier where it feels like it's doing too much because we just mentioned like four different themes. Right. Competing exactly. for our attention in the span of 2 hours and 40 minutes with 10 characters that are all together like plus the side characters and a brand new villain with another villain that you know we haven't even talked about, so it's too much. So before we get it's really into, ambitious, it's really ambitious that and that's been used as a as a basically a bad term for this movie. Usually when people say that a movie's ambitious, usually it's in a positive light, but mm-hmm. not in this case. People are saying that it's ambitious, but it's it's too ambitious. It's there's too much happening. It's trying to do more too. than it can chew a little bit. Again, when something that I've noticed about the way we consume Marvel movies, especially the origin stories. Usually with origin stories, I think you and I maybe have some of the same complaints. It's like they feel too just flat. Like it's it's almost a paint by numbers mm. type of, well, here's the uh here's the hero. Oh, he doesn't know he has powers. Oh, let's see him discover his powers. And then there's a villain and and for the most part, this movie is not that. And I oh, think no. <laughs> that I have a feeling this kind of scares people, like especially oh. a lot of people who are really big fans of Marvel. They go in expecting a certain type of movie, a certain type of experience. Mm-hmm. And this movie doesn't really give them that. This is probably the most different type of Marvel movie we've seen. Mm hmm. I don't think you can really compare this to any Marvel movie we've seen. It's really tough to just because it's very tough to compare it to the other Marvel movies. It doesn't feel like one Mm -hmm. almost. And you said that. Yeah, I said that. And I don't really care either way. No, you don't care either way. (laughs) But a lot of people do. A lot of people do. A lot of people are like. This is not what I signed up for. This mm-hmm. is not what I'm looking for when I go and wait for the Marvel fanfare at the beginning of a movie, you know? Uh, but in my case, I kind of like seeing Marvel kind of branch out. Like, if you're going to give us new content, new material, introduce us to new characters, there should be new things happening or new ways of presenting the story. And so th- that's. Something that I find to be a positive for them, even though some people may see it as a negative, I see it as a positive. It's showing that Marvel is willing to at least take some chances, 
and mess around with their formula because mm-hmm. everybody always talks about the Marvel formula and and we see it in movies that we see from Marvel like there's like like paint by numbers like this 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 but I appreciate it I appreciated where this movie went I like that they picked all sorts of people to be these superheroes and I mentioned POC before and I feel like it's very important. We talk about representation every other episode, I feel like. And in this case, I feel like we're not giving that enough credit. Like people are just going into it and like, I don't like it. And I'm like, you have Salma Hayek playing a superhero. You have Gemma Chan, Brian Tyree Henry, Kumail Nanjiani. Like these people are all new faces and races. <laughs> so yes. like that's great. I feel like that's a step in the right direction because I don't want to keep saying Chris's to be quite honest with you. Right. Because we we have enough of them. We do like three of them were in at the same time in the same movie. So like we don't need more of that. And also like you mentioned representation on top of that, two more things. You know, you mentioned different people playing characters from different nationalities, but also we get a deaf character played by Lauren Ridloff, uh, something that you you barely see in movies to begin with. Yeah. Uh, and then on top of that, uh, this is the first openly gay character that we've seen in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Mm-hmm. Um, before I continue that thought, I do want to say I know that the character that Joe Russo played in Avengers Endgame uh did say or you know basically imply that he was a gay character but in this one we actually get a scene of two gay characters kissing so like we're we've gotten to that in terms of representation and that's not even the driving conversation here in this in this the way that critics are treating this movie like they are beating this movie down yeah and it's kind of surprising to me um, I don't know if it's maybe fatigue from Marvel. I don't know if it's warranted at all. I don't. Well, think you know so. that maybe they are. It is fatigue because we had an Asian-led, um, <laughs> superhero movie earlier this year with Black Widow. So, um, <laughs> <laughs> oh, that wow. I was waiting. I was like, where is she going with this? Oh, that's such a good one. That is such a good joke. Oh, man. Oh, God. Uh, pretty good. Oh, Scar so, Joe. Scar right. Joe. Oh, well. So um, I think we can really dive in more once we hit spoilers. So let's talk spoilers. But before we do, what did you end up giving the movie as a score out of five? I gave it three out of five. I gave it a three and a half. I was a little higher. We're very similar, then. We're pretty close. Yeah. And and for those who probably want to know, out of the twenty six movies, I I did my ranking. You, you know, did? Yeah, I did my oh. ranking, and it falls at number fifteen. Okay, so which the middle. Which, yeah, a little, just a tad bit below the middle. Yeah. Um, and I know that our friend uh, Danny Romero, I. Not to call you out, but I remember after the movie, like I started listing a couple of movies from Marvel. <laughs> that were worse than this. That way. were worse than this. And it's kind of hard to say, like, come on. Like The Incredible Hulk, <laughs> Thor The Dark World, Iron Man 2. Like those movies are bad. 
And this movie is in no way worse than those. So that's that was my, you know, overall inclination about that. So mm-hmm. with that said, we're going to go ahead and talk about spoilers for Eternals right after this. The greatest trick. Houston, we have a problem. I am the father. I see dead people. The devil ever pulled. Pay no attention to that man behind the curtain. Was convincing the world. You can't handle the truth. He didn't exist. Oh, what's in the box? All right, so let's talk spoilers for Eternals. Um, where do we start here? Just because there's I so have much. a couple of nitpicks. So, Go. Um, my first one had to do with the beginning of the movie, the land in Mesopotamia in like 5000 BC, right? Correct. There is the beginning of civilization per the history books, except all of the Eternals are speaking English. This is a major nitpick of mine because is English the language of the galaxy? English didn't start forming on Earth around 5000 AD and then modern English wasn't around until like 1480. So to me, it seemed like a great opportunity to like pull a Tolkien <laughs> and create a freaking language for the Eternals. Um, I, I don't know why they just land in there speaking English. So that was a huge nitpick of mine. Fair enough. I will give my, that to you. Yeah. And then my other one is almost a nitpick, but more of a complaint in that it was such a struggle for me to suspend my dif- disbelief over the Eternals basically being world history, where every legend, myth, and God that ever was is attributed to their existence on Earth. Mm. And that's a major sticking point for me personally is because Uh, it feels too shoehorned in there like oh yeah you've heard of Gilgamesh but like the real Gilgamesh is the eternal you've heard of Athena the goddess of like war but like have you you've never heard of Athena like Angelina Jolie like it was too um convenient of a thing and actually I was telling you guys this when we were all together after the movie that you know all of these characters are actually it's like backwards like the writers and creators of these characters in the comics definitely took world history <laughs> and created these characters based on those myths and legends and and gods right yes so then now you know we have it in movie form and they're like saying it right like it's too meta no. like it's like going right. around the circle those so, gods are actually based on us. Type yes. Of thing. And I'm like, get out of here. <laughs> I didn't have a problem with it. Uh, I know I, you don't. No, <laughs> That's I why I'm saying it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I I enjoyed it only because that is something that they're doing in this world. You know, um, I was surprised that this movie really leans into how the world was started. And it was started by celestials, like this entire being, uh, you know, not even oh, a yes, god yes, yes, or, yes. or, you know. It was a, a, yeah, I don't even know what it is. I don't know. what. Well, celestial. It looks like a robot to me. but It really does. And these celestials pop up It's a version of all the over. Iron Giant. <laughs> yes, it does kind of look like it. But they pop up from time to time. And a new one has to be born in order for new galaxies and planets and life to be born. 
So that's the main struggle of this movie is that uh, one is supposed to be born right here on Earth. Earth will be destroyed in the process, but it'll give birth to new galaxies and new planets and new life. Essentially, the Earth is an egg. Pretty much. Pretty much. It's incubating a celestial. Right. And if you say so, that's a bit hard to wrap. Another stretch. Right. It's hard to wrap your head around that. As a concept, it's like we're not fighting like this bad guy wants to take over the world or whatever. No, we're we're fighting the idea. I appreciate the idea being fought of like, do we sacrifice people here on Earth in order to create new life? Like, I don't mind the the concept, but the execution of it is a little rough, especially at the end where basically they're basically trying to kill a celestial. Um, yeah, they do. Or they and they do. It. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. They pretty much killed the they, Celestial. I don't even know what they, they... She turned it into marble? She, yeah, that's what it was. She turned it into marble. And yeah, it, it's, it's a bit tough. I kind of would have preferred just seeing the battle that was happening, which was Icarus turning on the oh, family. Oh, between the 10 of them. Yeah. Or nine of them because they sidelined Kumail Nadiani. Yeah, Kumail decides, I'm not going to fight. Any what of was you. that about? It was like I a kept waiting for him stand. to come. Yeah, back. to show up again. Oh my God. But he does. Frustrating. It was it was weird how Kumail Nanjiani's character of Kingu basically says, "I agree with Icarus's point, but I'm not going to fight any of you. So I'm going to step away." And he doesn't come back during he the fight. He literally does not show his face until the final scene. Yeah, after the fighting. After everything is said and done. Yeah, which was very interesting. I, I maybe not. I think it felt like that was the wrong. Choice, I think completely. the battle though between the other eight and Icarus was more interesting. Whatever way they could have gotten us to that, whether it's like you know Icarus knew a plan of something, but them fighting Icarus, who is basically Superman, really. Uh, like it couldn't be more obvious that it's <laughs> Superman, and they even reference it in the movie. Yeah, that he's Superman. Uh, that was a more interesting battle than you know. Let's try to kill this celestial type of thing. Mm. Um, so th- that's a couple of things. Number two, how did you feel about the actual? I guess the portrayal of the characters. We don't know these characters, but how did you feel about how they came about? Like Gemma Chan basically leading this movie in a way. Like, was she a good leading lady? So I don't have a problem with Gemma Chan. I have a problem with the romance they tried to cook up with her and Icarus, mm-hmm. which is Richard Madden, because I don't feel like they have any chemistry. No, they don't. They You're don't. telling me they were together for thousands of years? So their love story is supposed to be eternal. Right. <laughs> and um, they end up breaking up. But then when they get together, they're kind of implying that sparks are flying again. And I'm like, I'm not. Si- this is dead right here. Right. I don't I don't see it. And I don't know. I'm not seeing it. The love story that I was super invested in was um, Druigs and Makari. Yes. Holy shit. <laughs> 
Those two had such great chemistry. And I read an article saying that that was originally not in the script. That was completely, um, you know, basically improvised by these two actors. And the director was like, yeah, go with it. Run with it. It's good. And so it made it into the final cut. Just these like looks and um, flirtatiousness between these two. And I'm like, that is like catnip to me. I just love that interplay. And it out out romanced this other couple who were supposed to be a legitimate couple. And even the main well, the first romance we see between Cersei and Dane Whitman, which is uh Kit Harrington, aka yeah. Jon Snow. No chemistry. None. Better than Richard oh, Madden. Well, if you're okay, for the, grading we're on, comparing. A, on a curve. I'm just comparing on a curve. I'm grading on a curve. Even between them, there's more chemistry, more than, chemistry than Richard, than Richard Madden. Madden and and Gemma Chan. So the love story didn't really sell us. No. No. But I like the idea of Gemma Chan being this underdog of an of a eternal. You know, she's, yes. she's not really – she doesn't have an offensive um, talent or no. power. So she's more of like a evade – <laughs> and um slightly defensive defensive sort of eternal and right. i appreciate that they made her the leader and that she's basically underutilized and under uh, estimated at every turn especially by icarus because he's an asshole so <laughs> right um, and by sprite because and by sprite, sprite as well is in yeah. love with icarus which I believe that in a hot second. Like that was no question in my mind. Yeah. That, that totally made sense. Sprite was in love with Icarus and resented Cersei. Yeah. Because of it. Yeah, exactly. I was like, that's a great yeah. triangle. Yeah. That is a great triangle there, mm-hmm. which wasn't explored enough. No. It was not. Yeah. Like you have the comment by Kingu. It's like, you know the story Peter Pan. You know Icarus is Peter Pan, obviously, and Cersei is Wendy. Your uh, uh, Tinkerbell, Tinkerbell, and the yeah. rest of us are the Lost Boys. And of course, Tinkerbell can never be with Peter Pan. Yeah. And so, like, you just see the look on her face, like, basically, like, I hate you, but you're right. Yeah, and then you also have this story with Sprite of she can never age. Right. She is Fantastic a child, yeah, celestial. perpetual child. Yeah, right. It was really good because what I what I appreciated about the movie is that because the celestials are involved with humans for so much time, wants. Oh, begin, the, you mean the Eternals? I'm sorry, the Eternals is what I meant mm-hmm. to say. Because they're involved with humans for so m- many years, they begin to want. And they have desires and passions that start to spring up because they're not these cold, you know, figures. They they still interact and have pathos and, and feelings and stuff. So the fact that she, as a child eternal, you know, she hates the fact that she can't grow up. She can't. Yeah, it's a Pinocchio thing. Yeah. You know, she, she wants to be a real human. <laughs> exactly. She wants to be able to grow up. She wants yeah. to be able to fall in love and everything. But 
because or she's we already a child. mentioned Peter Pan. Like it's yeah, she's frozen. <laughs> she's frozen in time. So those are ideas that are great, but not explored enough. Um, another idea was Druig. Druig, who is the this one. Was the whole thing. <laughs> This was an entire plot of the movie. This was an entire like, six-course meal within the movie. It really was. was. His thing. I mean, each of them has their own, like, truly compelling story. Yeah. And so Druig has compassion for the humans, but he wants to stop what humans are doing to each other. You know, there's war and genocide that springs up over time, and he has the power to do it because he can control their actions, their minds almost. And, you know, he's told again and again, don't interfere, don't interfere. And finally, he's like, no, I am going to interfere because we can do we can stop this. This, Mm -hmm. The genocide that they're committing, the horrible acts they're committing, they should not be doing this. And I can stop them. And he does it. That uh, idea of if you um, those that have the ability to do something, have the responsibility to do something. Right. Uh, which is very well told through Druig's story. And we see that he builds his own following of people, which... Okay, but he abuses his power. But he does abuse his power. Yeah, which by, another, it's just another concept of absolute power corrupts absolutely. Yeah. And he's basically a little tyrant in this village. <laughs> yeah, this village of people who are like stuck in a certain time period, even though it's present day. Like, right. They're like still doing antiquated stuff. Yes. So they don't they don't really know about the outside world that much. But yeah, he's like a tyrant in that village mm-hmm. of people. Because he's taken away their free will. Right. Which is a whole other thing. Like, you know, a what I'm whole saying? nother thing. Yeah. Because this movie also combats that too. Because they're in on two fronts. Number one, the front of the humans is eventually their lives are going to be sacrificed. For a celestial and humans have no say whatsoever as to whether that's going to happen or not. Yes. That's number one. And number two, we find out in the movie, the big one of the big twists of the movie is that the Eternals are not real beings. They're kind of synthetic robots that are created. They're not even from Olympia, which they there were told. There is no Olympia. There is no Olympia. <laughs> yeah. So the planet that they think they're from, everything that they – have been told is all a lie. They are just synthetic robots created by celestials to go to these planets to help humans or whatever creatures are on the planet to evolve enough so that way celestials can be born. So yes, they, they need don't even energy from living intelligent intelligent beings. On intelligent the beings, exactly. So these Eternals, and this isn't their first mission either. Even though they believe no, it been is, ca- uh, you know, gathered up and reset every few thousand years. <laughs> so these Eternals don't have their own will to impact on people until yes. they decide to make a choice. Man versus God. Man versus God, and and we see it play out in the movie. Not great with the execution, but I again I do like the concept. Yes. Um. So. There's another character, Fastos. Uh, Brian. Fastos. Yes, this Brian Tyree. I didn't Tyree like Hair. this either because he's made out to be 
the ultimate scientist and inventor who has ushered in periods of intense technology <laughs> and growth in the human race. It's, it's like all from him, entire inventions and the wheel and all that shit. I don't like that. Gotcha. Why is he like he gets to intervene? Like, I don't understand either. Like in the context of they're not supposed to be affecting human behavior. Right. Which I, I don't I don't get that. Like even but when at they the were all time, together and Ajax was like with them, he's like, what, what do you think about this invention? And everyone's like, oh, very cool. Like what? <laughs> he gets to give he them get, like things? he was about to give them a steam engine and Ajax was like, ah, that's too civilized too yeah. <laughs> for them right now. So he just gives them the plow. Um, So I, I, I don't like understand the concept. Either you can interfere or you can't. Mm-hmm. And so I don't know where that movie is supposed to, where the movie is supposed to stand on that, on that. Right. And then also diminishes topic. every accomplishment and achievement that has been done by any, you know, intelligent person that has ever created something for humanity. You know what I'm saying? Yes. I gotcha. <laughs> so, yeah, it was, it's a tough one to get through. So there's, there's another subplot inside of the group and that is Thena. Thena Let's talk about Thena and Gilgamesh because yes. I guess they come as a package deal in they the do. movie. So Thena has an issue and it's that she has this thing called Mad Weary is what they call it. But basically her memories are kind of like stacking up on each other and they're causing her brain to basically malfunction. And so when when it first happens in the movie, they think it's just something that's happening because of the time that they've spent on Earth there. So all the memories are just stacking up and her mind, she loses control. She starts attacking people. We later find out it's not because of just the memories here. It's because of the memories and the overload from all the times that she has been reset. That she's never been alive. <laughs> exactly. So... She was given or Ajax was basically going to erase her mind so that she could start fresh. But people resisted it. Thena resisted it because she wanted to maintain it. Because it would get rid herself. of her person personality. Yeah. Her, all of who her she is. Being. Yeah. So Gilgamesh decides, I'll take care of her. Like, mm. you know, what if it happens again? I'll take that chance. You know. So they go off on their own and you know, this is after Druig, you know, decides to break off by himself and take the people from, I want to say it was an Aztec village because there were conquistadors yeah. who were yes, like committing genocide at the time. So yeah. he goes off on his own and Ajax decides, you know what, everyone, just go. Live your lives. The deviants are gone. Just go and live. Do what you want. So Gilgamesh and Thena go together. Um, I do, I do like some of the pairings, you know, I, you I like feel like Gilgamesh and Thena. Yeah. Because it's I, a unique, uh, what is it? Platonic, uh, friendship. It you is know, deep, caring friendship that they have. And, um, what does he say? If you love someone, then you, you know, you take care of them. Yep. I think is what Gilgamesh is quoted as saying at some point, which is very, um, 
unique. Usually in movies, they keep it simple and they're like, oh, they're a couple. Like a romantic couple. Right, a romantic couple. But this movie didn't lean into that. Mm -mm. Although, you know, there have been many mentions of how Athena, you know, can attract the eye of certain men, including King Arthur. (laughs) Which I thought was (laughs) such a great line in there. Because when she's holding Excalibur in the ship, and uh, Sprite says, you know, Arthur had a crush on you, right? (laughs) And stuff like that. So, like, little things like that are fun. I kind of wish this movie would have dealt more with like the Eternals after like they split like more in like pairs and stuff. I think too many of them were on their like alone almost. Mm, mm. So like Fastos being alone, Kingu being alone, uh, Druid, right. Um, It would have been better to see a couple more pairs to condense the story a bit because I feel like having to reach out to too many of them at the same time, you know, like Ocean's Eleven does a good job of when you have to recruit or you have to get a crew, they spend a short time on them. You know, there's not this whole backstory of every single one. So this movie is trying to do the backstory of every single one. I think it would have been or made more sense or condensed stuff if you pair a couple more people together who split off. You know, instead of mm-hmm. one over here, one over there, one over there. Let's talk about Sama Hayek and how they basically screamed her in this movie, refer- movie referring to Drew Barrymore in Scream. Oh, yes. This mm-hmm. is interesting. I didn't I think the movie. This. No, I wasn't. I thought this was going to be for the long haul that Sama Hayek was just going to be in it yeah. with no issues. But they kill her off early in the early. movie. Yes. I was flabbergasted. (laughs) I was surprised (laughs) to say the least because the movie, if I'm thinking about it correctly, obviously we get the opening scene on Mesopotamia, then present day London. Then we get the flashback and then we visit her and she's dead. So we're not even fake too. I was like, maybe they're going to bring her back, like resurrect her. And the only way they did was through flashback flashback. That's it. So she is like just a dead character. Um, That was surprising to me. Uh, But. I don't think I I liked it. I don't know if it was necessary. I don't think it was. Well, at least not to do it then. Like if you wanted to kill her, you could do it later on in the movie. Because the whole thing of Icarus killing her or, you know, having her killed by the deviants. So here's my problem. They had they showed Icarus killing her, which is good. But they never showed her talking to Icarus and revealing their true purpose on Earth. Yes. And I feel like that's a big mistake. You know when you know when that would have been a great time to bring it up? During that moment where she says, tell her how you feel about her. Because mm-hmm. obviously there's a connection between Ajax and Icarus right there. Right. There's a closeness there. She there's trusts close- him. He comes to visit her. That's one-on-one. So in that moment, you could have given away the thing. Okay, so this movie, here's, I think, the big issue. He said that she told him back in Babylon. Right, which is the moment we see. (laughs) So that would have been a great time for us as an audience to see that. Yeah, I I think that that was a huge mistake. Here is what I think is a problem. And this is probably the biggest problem. The movie holds its cards too close to try to generate a surprise 
Mm. When I think the better way of going about it is reveal the cards and add suspense as to when the rest of the crew is going to find out. Mm. Because if Icarus is the only one with the information. It's not very surprising to me that Icarus was like very shady. Right. No, it, it wasn't. And ended up killing Ajax. No, but if I think you, you want to see more closeness between them to make the murder more um, impressive. And more like impressive. How could he possibly kill her when there is such a closeness between them? And then him having to hide the fact that he killed her. Yes. And how long is it going to take for the rest of the crew to find out that he did? Mm-hmm. Like those things, instead of making it a surprise, make it a suspense. Like the audience is just waiting like, oh, shit, are they going to find yeah, because out Because the now? audience knows and the characters don't. Exactly. And I think it would have worked well to have the audience ahead of the characters in this particular mm-hmm. case. So that way you build like this sense of almost like dread because eventually it's going to go back. It's going to hit the fan. You're just waiting for it to happen. And mm-hmm. every moment that you can build towards it would be like a new thing of like, oh, is it going to happen now? Are they going to find out the truth? But, mm-hmm. you know, that would have been a cool or thing. Or him trying to like cover his steps because people are kind of onto him or suspecting yes. certain things and find her death suspicious in some way. So that would have been a better, might have been more of a murder mystery, but yeah. I think it would have worked better than this like trying to shock the audience. But I feel like the movie the way the movie presents itself never really gives you an indication that he killed Ajax. Mm. Like it never really leans that way. Like sure. The the camera holds on him a little bit longer with a look or something. It's a little too simple, I think. Yeah. And that's the, that should give you pause, I guess, as an audience member. It should. Or even as an eternal where everyone's on the same page. And then, you know, what what's what's the conflict here? Right. So what is the conflict? And they bring the conflict a little too late. I feel. And why exactly does he have no compassion or feel so strongly about letting the celestial be birthed and killing Earth? Like, is he that committed to his purpose? Like, why? Why is everyone else so... Um, woke so to speak and then he's like behind <laughs> i kind of feel like that would have been something to explore like how strong are your beliefs and that's part of why i feel like they should have shown ajak revealing all the cards to him yes because it- then you get his raw reaction maybe she sells it to him in some way like what did ajak say to make him feel thousands of years later that she still was right <laughs> And then, <laughs> and then having the, in his eyes, betrayal of Ajak changing her mind, like, mm-hmm. we have to stop this from happening. Right. All of a sudden for him, it's like, wait a second, you're it telling makes Ajak, me. Yes, it makes Ajak into a sympathetic hero figure who died resting on her um, morals versus she's been the ringleader for millennia. And has been basically the villain in this story because yeah. she's tricking all of her crew. Yeah. The, Every the crew time doesn't know except mission. except for Icarus. Now, now at least in this yeah. mission, yeah, he knows. So, yeah, those are things that and I it made Icarus the villain. And it's like, OK, I get it. But also Ajax wasn't like an angel either. So too right. too. Yeah. 
weird. <laughs> All right. Before we get out of here, there are a couple of last things that we need to touch on, and it's going forward. Um, so No, let's talk about well, – let's just sing the praises of Harish Patel, who plays Karun, who's oh. like the <laughs> tag-along videographer. He is. He, he is. is great comedic relief. I love his character. He's so cute. And he brings a little bit of just gravitas a little bit. Like when they are grieving, um, I think it's Ma Dong Sok, Gilgamesh's character dies. And he like does the prayer and all that stuff. And it just yes. feels like he has a very spiritual energy about him when he's needed to bring that in the, into the group. So I want to just shout out that dude. And uh, that's it. <laughs> there we go. No, now no, it, it, it was it, it was a good thing because of the fact that he does have like a couple of moments where he does say some really good lines mm-hmm. to the group or to uh, Kamel's character, Kingu. I think when when Kingu is trying to decide after the Bollywood dance and, you know, filming the scene, when he's trying to decide whether or not to leave, he like tells him. That he has to. And like he like reiterates a line from his favorite movie, which was the movie that he acted in. <laughs> Shadow Hunter 2. So like Yeah. He's a bit of like a uncle father figure to Kumail's Kingo. Yeah. Kingu. And that's a different like relationship. You know what I'm saying? All of them have um experienced some a various form of like human relationship, right? Yes. Which is cool. I like it. I like that too. I really. And then do. you have again, Fastos has a child, and all this. It's you know. It's yeah, great. they they he's have. Married, so they're like, among us. They they live among us. Mm-hmm. You know, and they don't want to see it gone. Mm-hmm. They don't want to lose what they have gained here. The only other thing is that I'll say that Angelina Jolie looks super tired during this whole movie. She does. Would you agree? I feel she like does. she just looks kind of like She's just done. like, what do you want me to do? Okay, fine. <laughs> I did see an interview with her about, they were asking like, what did you do different with this character? Um, and she said, well, I didn't want her to basically be masculine. And because she is the goddess of um, war and combat and all that stuff. And she was like, I didn't want her to be so rough, essentially. And so all of her moves are very... Um, dance yeah balletic balletic she took ballet is what she said and i admire that i think that that was a unique choice to juxtapose of this fiery combat weaponized god and then everything she's doing is so feminine yes i i i really appreciate her fighting style the Mm -hmm, way she would mm kind of just like oh almost bounce around like with either flips or uh pirouettes or like the way she would move about was yeah it was a very pleasing uh choreo and i don't think that that was necessarily just on the supporting crew and the choreography fight choreography and stuff seemed like angelina jolie definitely had an input and say over how she wanted her character portrayed so that was nice and I do want to say one more thing. We talked about the look of this movie. I think this movie does look really good because of the fact that a lot of it is like on practical sites and there's not that much green screen type of stuff. Like you can notice it when it happens, like when they're mm-hmm. killing the celestial type of thing. Uh, but 
you know, when they're on the beaches and stuff, like you can tell they're on, on the, beach. the beach, you know, <laughs> the sunshine is shining on their face. And, you mm-hmm. know, I really like that. But speaking of visually, I really like Makari. I like the fact that they when they show her because she's super fast, right? Yes. She's like the flash. They don't show any of like in slow motion, like, <laughs> like, you know, no, no, no. She is super fast. And they're going to show it super fast. Like when she's traveling and you are, the camera is on her traveling somewhere. Mm -hmm. It's traveling at that speed. It's not that you kind of, everything gets slow and frozen in time type of thing. (laughs) I appreciate that. That's a difference between other fast characters that we've seen either in Marvel with Quicksilver or in DC with The Flash. Mm Mm-hmm. Also, I love when she uses her speed on Icarus and just like. Oh, it's fantastic. It's yeah. fantastic. It's great I'm just stuff. like, get it, bitch. Like, get it. Yeah. Dale duro. That's what I was saying in the theater. <laughs> so good. <laughs> I was a wreck in the theater. I was just <laughs> talking out loud and that... making jokes. And <laughs> yeah, you weren't sitting next to me, so you didn't know. But me and my no. sister were like a force on the other side. <laughs> oh, I can imagine. So. All right. So. The movie has a couple of things that it leads to. Yeah. So because obviously the movie does leave on a bit of a cliffhanger to. Yeah, that's putting it lightly. Uh, Celestial comes and takes the three three remaining. Is it three? Eternals. Yeah, it takes Fastos. It takes Kingu. And of course, Cersei. It takes the three of them because Sprite is no longer an Eternal. She's a human now. Mm hmm. Uh, Icarus flew into the sun. <laughs> That's a great line. Yes. Uh, uh, so basically committed suicide. Yeah, my eyes rolled all the way back. <laughs> and then the other Eternals are on the ship, which I keep forgetting the name. I think it's the Moto or something like that. Um, they're on the ship <laughs> to the go find other Eternals. The so Domo? Can... Domo? Is it the Domo? I think it's the Domo. I think it's Domo. You're right. They they're going to find other Eternals to let them know the truth and what they're doing. Spread the good so, word. Exactly. So, <laughs> so now that the Celestials have taken Cersei, Bastos, and Kingu, we're gonna get a part two. We have to get a part two at this point because we're left with that number one. Where where were they taken? You know, how when are they, were they taken? When were they taken? Um. You know, and the the other Eternals, Thena, Makari, Druig, how are they going to find them? So this is where the first credit scene enters. And we get introduction to not one, but two characters. Uh, the first character is Pip. Uh, Pip is the troll. He is kind of like a steed to the main character, which was spoiled before this movie oh my came gosh. out. The press needs to rethink their Oof. lives on this one. This yeah, that was pretty bad. How can the end credits scene get spoiled in like headlines? It was pretty bad. But that was ridiculous. If somehow you did not get spoiled, congrats. But we meet Thanos's brother, Eros, or another name, Star Fox. And he apparently knows where the Celestial has taken the other three Eternals. I am befuddled. 
with this one. <laughs> because of it. it's Harry Styles, first of all. First off, number one. This is when they win over my sister. She says, I mean, it was made 10 times better with the addition of Harry Styles in the end credits. And now she's fully committed to the sequel, right? They've just yeah. gained all of these They gain all these people. people. Yeah. All of the Harry Styles uh, fans are going to come on board to Marvel. However, the fact that he is Thanos' brother but looks nothing like Thanos is this another case of like Gamora and what's-her-face were, were his daughters, but they were, you know, adopted essentially or stolen, however, depending on how you look at it. Um is that a similar case? Like, what is the deal? He looks human. He's not a titan or whatever Thanos is. So I'm just confused. So I don't have a good explanation, <laughs> except for in the comics, he is drawn somewhat like a human. Okay. So he doesn't have the... Same characteristics as Thanos, like big and purple type of thing. Um, Sounds like a store, like a superhero store. Right. Uh, er (laughs) So a quick little thing from Marvel.com itself. Okay. Uh, Star Fox. Eros grew up on Titan alongside his brother Thanos, embracing all the pleasures that life has to offer. He later becomes Star Fox and an official member of the Avengers. Um, It doesn't really say how... Uh, but apparently he he does have the powers of an eternal. So I still don't know how he's related to Thanos in some way. Oh, okay. Here we go. Uh, okay, I got I got it. <laughs> so I guess his uh, father is an eternal called Mentor or Lars. So Mentor and Suisan's youngest son, Eros, is born with the ability to stimulate pleasure in others. <laughs> Harry Styles. The power has no effect on his mutant older brother. Ah, his mutant older brother, Thanos. Mutant. With deviant syndrome. <gasps> physically <gasps> repulsive to his fellows. So ah, Thanos was ugly. And part deviant, and almost. part deviant or deviant characteristics itself. Right, exactly. So that is why wow. there's a difference in their appearance. So Thanos is the ugly duckling of the family. The ugly duckling of the family. All right. So well, okay. it's been twenty years of Marvel movies. And I'm just finding out. Right. <laughs> wow. Okay. So that's one part of where that's going. Also, Pip the Troll is voiced by Patton Oswalt, who I'm sure is like so jazzed to be in a Oh my God, to be. Oh my God. I'm so excited for him. I'm so excited for him too. Have you ever seen his his entire scene from Parks and Rec? Yes, I have. Yes, it's fantastic. (laughs) He's like doing it on the fly. I know. Like it's fantastic. So that is one part of it. We also have the second part of it. Dane Whitman. This is a character we haven't really talked about. Um, Yes. Kit Harrington, a.k.a. Jon Snow. Jon Snow. Jon Snow. Uh, So he is a character in Marvel as well. And we see this in the second uh, credit scene at the end. Yeah. He is back at an office. He opens up a case that has a sword. This sword definitely has a mystical power to it. Looks medieval. 
yes, it looks medieval, but when he goes to reach for it, like you can see like some type of energy coming off of it. It looked like um, a little bit like Venom. Yeah, the way Venom like kind of like re- the symbiote kind yeah. of like reaches yeah. out. Yeah, it kind of looks like that. Looks like water, dark water or something. Okay, keep going. So at this moment, he looks like he is going to attempt to become the Black Knight. Now, the Black Knight is another Marvel character that is based on lore and and by lore i mean arthurian lore so apparently he comes from a descendant of one of the knights of the round table okay so part of king arthur's court which got mentioned in the movie he's looking for his guinevere anyway (laughs) it's called the ebony blade is the blade that he reaches out for. So that gives him powers with the, with the blade and the horse that comes with it as well. You were telling me that it's like an undoable thing. Once he latches onto the sword, he can't turn back into his human Dane women self. He's going to always be the black knight. Is that what you said? As far as I'm aware, I believe so, but I am going to, have to look that up again okay i could be slightly wrong on that uh but the the big thing about his character is i don't know if you remember this in the movie and it it's a (laughs) it's a kind of like you hear it or you miss it whatever when she when he is facetiming with cersei and they lose connection cersei tells him talk to your uncle like Call your uncle. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. So the reason why is because that black sword, the sword, has been passed through the family. The uncle used it for evil. So he complicated the name the Black Knight. He used it for evil. So now there's this thing amongst the family that the Black Knight is viewed as a bad thing, not a good thing. So now he has to find a way to not only take the mantle, but also restore its good name that it used to have type of thing. So that is where we're You're telling me with. there's a generational curse on the sword? Kind of. Okay. Kind of. <laughs> but that leaves us with one last thing. Lord. So the last thing that we hear in this credit sequence is a voice that says, are you sure you want to do that, Mr. Whitman? Oh, yeah, that's right. So this is a voice that people were trying to figure out who it is. Like, whoa, is this uh, the Watcher from... I thought it was Sam Jackson at first, but then I was like, it sounds a little off. Right. So some people thought is the Watcher, Jeffrey Wright's character from the uh, What If series. Mm -hmm. That's what you said. I thought it was, too. I was wrong. What? So apparently, according to... There's a third player now? There is. According to... Chloe Zhao, the director of the movie, she confirmed who it is. And writer. (laughs) And writer of the movie, of course. She has gone ahead and she has verified who that voice is. And that voice is Eric Brooks, a.k.a. Blade. Holy shit. Being played by Mahershala Ali. Oh my God. Yes. 
We're getting is, Blade. We're getting Blade. We're getting Blade. Yes, we are I'm getting Blade. So, oh my God, I'm pumped. I am pumped for Blade. Yes. And Mahershala Ali as well. Listen to me. I'm not pumped about anything in Marvel. You guys have heard me for years now. I am so pumped about Blade being in the Marvel Universe. (gasps) Yeah, man. Oh, my God. So I wonder if that is going to be somewhat of a team up. Blade and the Black Knight. Because if he's there. You're saying that's the new Falcon and the Winter Soldier? I know, right? <laughs> <laughs> like, I don't know why they would be together or why he would be there to kind of warn him, you know? Right. But, you know, who knows? I don't know. I don't know what the hell they're thinking. So here is the thing about Marvel. Like, they they throw things like this at us to make us think and to yeah. get us try to get us excited. Riled up for the next movie. Right. It takes years to make these movies. <laughs> right. Exactly. So by the time we get to it, it's like, ah, oh, yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. And then you get some asshole journalists like putting spoilers in the titles of their articles. Right. Two weeks before the movie comes out. Huh. So that is where we stand with the Eternals. Wow. So I believe we're going to see a part two. I think the criticism that has gone on is a little overboard by most people. Um. I think the movie is still... Did you see it twice? I did see it twice. Uh, I did see it twice. Uh, The second time I was able to see, you know, a little more good, but also a little more more of the flaws. Yes. You saw gooder? I saw gooder. (laughs) Uh, But I was able to see more flaws as well. So, you know, having that second experience does help. What do you think the next movie is going to be titled? Eternal Zer? Eternals are eternalist, eternal, <laughs> eternal to eternal harder. <laughs> oh my god, if they do stuff, it'll be like <laughs> eternals cradle to the grave. Like, <laughs> oh my god, <laughs> so oh god, all right. So, where we stand now in Marvel, uh, Marvel coming up. There's Hawkeye, the TV show, so we know the Eternals Christmas. won't have anything to do. Uh, Spider-Man. Is That's Spider-Man. the next big one. Is Spider-Man, is, what is that, next month? December? December. That is correct. December 17th. We just got another um, poster today. We did. Where it With, teases the different villains. We see I Electro. I think we, we are all on the same page. I think we are. Truly, we saw like a lightning or electricity electro. bolt. Electro. We saw some sand, Sandman. Yep. Green Goblin in the background. Yep. Doctor Octopus's arms. Alright. So that's five. Point. Oh wait, what's what's your fifth one? Hold on. One, two. You said sand, three. electro, goblin, doc ock. That's four. Oh, that's four. I'm sorry. I thought I saw a fifth. But my <laughs> guess is that we will see the Sinister Six. Yeah. Because we already movie. got Venom. We already got four. And Venom was teased. Teased in the post credits for Venom 2. Spoiler for the movie Venom. Shit, if you, sorry. If you didn't <laughs> listen to that one. Um, but th- I think that leaves the last one, which I believe will be Vulture. Um, Vulture. Michael Keaton's Keaton. character. Just because we don't have any of Holland's villains. You think Jake Gyllenhaal will come back? Hmm. No, I think no, I don't think so. <laughs> I don't think so. 
But that movie, oof, I don't know what they're going to do with that movie. That is that movie feels, loaded. Yeah. I, yeah, kind of. What do you think? What do you think is the runtime on that movie? That movie's gonna push three. You think it has to? You think it'll overtake Eternals as like the second longest? Because Eternals, would you say two hours forty minutes? Yeah, had ten characters in its ensemble, and what we've got: Sinister Six, Spider Man, Zendaya, Daya. Yep. However you say the it. other two Spider Men. The other two Spider Men. <laughs> we and. And the possible, oh my God, I can't believe this is like an actual possibility, but from the Netflix Marvel shows, Daredevil oh, and Kingpin. Up. No, no. I'm hearing things. Is Vincent D'Onofrio going to show up? Oh my God, I'm hearing things. But not just showing up there, showing up also in Hawkeye. I'm hearing things. I'm oh hearing things. Oh my God, Rico. Shut Bro, up. Daredevil was a good show. Daredevil was excellent. Yes. That is a show a that one. I really liked. Yeah. And bringing back Charlie Cox and Vincent D'Onofrio. <laughs> Oof. That'd be something. Diabolical. But again, where, where do you put these? I don't and know. and <laughs> there's else? another. I wouldn't say it's a rumor. But there is a thought of a possibility of another character being introduced. A character that we haven't seen in the MCU yet. <laughs> but we have seen in another Spider-Man movie. Just not in the MCU. I'm not going to say it out loud. Is it Lizard? Just, no, no, no. <laughs> We've seen Lizard. We've seen Liz- Well, he wasn't in the MCU, he but we have seen. Spider-Man. Yeah. Um, no, a different character. Well, who? The character that is, I don't know if this is something that's going to happen or maybe they're prognosticating it's going to happen, but we could be seeing one more Spider-Man introduced. Wait, which one? You think Miles? Miles Morales. I told you that months ago and you were like, no, I don't think so. Homie, bro, Into the Spider Verse is bar none one of the best Spider Man movies, and you're telling me they're not going to pull in this dude. They they kind of have to, right? They have to. Would you? Can you imagine? It'd be like, oh my god, it'll be like a uh, uh, Roger Rabbit. No, I don't think it's going to be like. You don't think it'll be in this movie? They'll put another Spidey in it. I don't think it'll be Roger Rabbit style. No, no, no. I'm. <laughs> I don't you know think it's going to be like part animated part. <laughs> Not like that, no. They all get sucked into his universe. The comic. But I, because Sony is like dead set on like creating their Spider-Verse type of thing. Yeah. Because we don't know if this is going to be the final Spider-Man that MCU has their hands on. Final right, Spider-Man movie. Right, right. It's possible. Deal. Yeah, the deal. The and there's been no talks about renegotiating or extending past this or anything. We don't know. So maybe this is their workaround. I don't know. It doesn't make sense. Who knows? But if all of this is happening, I don't know how bloated this movie is. Yeah, it could be. It could be awful. It could be terrible. It could be Spider-Man 3. All Shut over up. again. <sighs> I know. That's that's 
the worst case scenario. Um, and then after that, or it could be Spider Man too, or it could be Spider Man too. Hey, um, yeah. And then after that, we have to wait some time because they pushed back Doctor Strange to May, so it was going to be March. They moved it back to May. So mm, summer, summer makes makes sense. Yeah. All right. So that's where we stand with the MCU. That's where Holy we stand crap. with the Eternals. Okay. I am here for it. Just let me know any news on Blade. <laughs> Blade. Will do. I will let you know about Blade. I'm like outrageously excited for Blade. I don't know why. That is fantastic. Speaking <laughs> <laughs> of fantastic, keep... can we get some fantastic four news, please? Hey. Oh God. Hey. <laughs> I'm waiting. So, guys, if you liked this movie or you didn't like this movie, let us know on social media at Always Critic Pod. Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, TikTok, we're all there. So go ahead and let us know what your thoughts on this movie is. Go ahead and subscribe on your favorite podcast app if you haven't yet. Go ahead and check us out, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, and many more. You can search us by searching Always the Critic Podcast. If you've done that, leave a five-star review on Apple Podcasts. It goes a long way for us trying to become critics on that rotten tomatoes meter that tomato thing yeah yes on the tomato <laughs> thing we could be part of those numbers yeah. that we say so help us out give us a five-star review and finally if you're a big fan of ours if you really enjoy what we do and really want to help us out go ahead and check out our patreon page patreon.com slash always critic pod that is where you can support us for as little as two dollars a month which is much cheaper than that peppermint mocha at starbucks that is now available because it's Christmas time, pretty much for everyone. Uh, yeah, not for Rufilo. Not quite. Not quite. I'm still trying to hold out. Although I did have already a peppermint mocha, so I can't say too much. <laughs> Cheaper than that, though, you can support us at Patreon.com/slash Always Critic Pod. And that is it for today's episode. Next week, stay tuned. We will have a double feature. We haven't done a double feature in a while. So that should be fun. Yeah. Uh, so check that out on the next episode. Until then, I'm Rico. And I'm Jessica. And this has been the Always the Critic Podcast. Always the Critic Podcast.